Ryan, what the hell? Why'd you make me read this trash? Oh, did you like it? Ryan, the advisory on the back of the flayed corpse says, Rated Hard R Ultra Depressoid. Yabba dabba doo. Okay, so we're supposed to be reading The Flayed Corpse and The Furry Trap and The Black River by indie cartoonist Joshua Simmons this week. But frankly, I am in too good of a mood and too high on life. So you know what? Fuck it. I'm going outside to enjoy the sunshine and all the little things that life has to offer. I, I can't do this, dude. Wait, you're leaving? I mean, I'll be back. I mean, I'll be back in a few months to introduce actual good comics. Like, I don't know, Miles Morales, Ultimate Spider-Man, Nightwing, Batman. I don't know. What the fuck, man? I mean, comics that actually uplift. Comics that actually inspire. I mean, you don't like home invasions and erotic face cutting? Rummin? Rummin? Shit. Hey, man, what's up? Oh, hey, if it isn't the New York Times bestselling author, Alex Palmer. Hey, that's me. How's it going, man? All right. I'm glad you're here because, as you know, my podcast partner, Rummin, ran out. I don't know if you saw him. He ran out in utter disgust. Oh, is that who that was? It was just a rush that went right by me. I barely uh, saw who it was. He was trailed by uh, by a fog of moral indignation, but... <laughs> Fortunately, you're here to help us through these comics. I don't know if you happen to read anything by Josh Simmons, have you? This is the first time I've encountered Josh Simmons. Okay, well, this is fantastic. So you're here, Rumman isn't, so maybe you can tell us what you what you think. But before you do, you mentioned that you might bring your partner in crime, the New York Times mm. bestselling author, Jennifer McCartney. <laughs> did, she, yeah. did she happen to show up at all? She was... At first interested, she had looked at one or two pages of, of Josh Simmons. After a few other pages, she was like, I think I'm all right. Well, that was Rumman's like, exact reaction. So yeah, <laughs> so she and him are clearly in the, in the same boat. And, you know, obviously you and I are in the same boat because uh, last time you were here, you reviewed Beautiful Darkness right. with us, which is about a bunch of little people in the body of a, the decaying corpse of a murdered girl. We have similar tastes when it comes to this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. The gross, the offensive, the horrific can sometimes be sort of fun. Exactly. And actually, the gross, the horrific, the fun, all of that was, I think, embodied in uh, these two, these two <laughs> graphic novels yeah. uh, by Josh Simmons, or these two collections of short stories. And actually, just to let you know, we were actually supposed to read a third graphic novel by Josh Ooh. Simmons called Black River, which is a post-apocalyptic story. I wasn't able to get you that one. So mm -hmm. it'll be to our listeners, our three listeners, it, we're just going to review <laughs> the short story collections, The Furry Trap, and The Flayed Corpse. Uh, so, Alex, what, what did you think? It was a, a, a number of different emotions as I was going through it. I mean, it jumps right into sort of the, the very startling graphic violence. After a little bit of an intro, the the, the first one, the, it's uh, the Land of Magic, I think it's called, which kind of lulls you a little bit where it seems like sort of a funny fairy tale, a little quirky. And in, in some ways, it reminded me of the one that we talked about last time, where it it sort of plays on these tropes of fairy tale and then goes darker. But Josh Simmons, the, this story went darker way faster <laughs> and way more intense. So that kind of gave me a sense of where we were at with just how how dark it went, where you start with the story of an elf and a fairy, and he's, he's sort of trying to win her love, and then a scary you know dragon and a wizard show up, and this seems like sort of conventional, but then it goes much further. <laughs> and, and I guess that was my overall impression of the collections, was just how quick 
and rapid fire and all these like horror was, but it wasn't just that. If, if it was just, you know, one awful scene right after the other, it, that might just be too much to get through. It would just get exhausting yeah. after, you know, what, it's almost 300 pages between these two collections, but it really wasn't. It was, it, it, it he, he does do a pretty amazing job of bringing in a lot of different feelings and looks and and styles and kind of emotional rhythms to it there's a good amount of humor there's playing on different archetypes and and stories that you're kind of thinking you know where it's going and it surprises you just weird characters unexpected scenarios it just really is quite entertaining actually while also being (laughs) totally horrifying Just so our readers know, the first story that that you refer to, Alex, in the Land of Magic, but it starts in a moment of almost satirical whimsy Mm. and corniness. And I'm just going to say it ends with the elf defeating the wizard, Mm. but, you know, basically raping him in a way that you have never seen a rape depicted. (laughs) Some of the stories kind of remind me of when you would try to make up a dirty joke as a 13-year-old, and you just want to see how extreme you can get or you mm-hmm. know that joke the aristocrats right mm-hmm. where it's basically like let's just see how nasty we can get and some of josh simmons sort of reminds me of that for better or for worse i mean it kind of depends whether you like that or not kind of depends on your personality it's and definitely I, I i think you know i'm gonna be the voice of rum in here because he's not <laughs> here you know his thinking is that why would anyone want to want to create something like this what would be the intention mm-hmm. you know he kind of compared it to another book that we read called paying for it about a guy who just oh that's what jen actually introduced me to it that's right yeah jen actually is is the one who got us ed the happy clown which we also reviewed she's the one who actually introduced me to ed the happy clown so <clears throat> that's a uh, chester brown so, right paying for it that was chester brown yeah and so you know rumman was sort of like well he, at least he has a point with I guess with paying for it specifically. And he didn't see the point of what Josh Simmons was trying to do. I'm kind of curious to get your point of view when it comes to material that really pushes the envelope. Yeah. I don't really feel there needs to be a point. And any more than you telling me a dirty joke has to have a point Mm. other than for you to elicit a reaction from me, be that one of horror or shock or humor, or in the case of Josh Simmons, it could be all three. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something I wonder about a lot when especially when Jen comes in when I'm like watching something horrifying she's like why do you watch this it's like I have to kind of come up with a reason like why do I watch this what is it I enjoy and then by extension why would somebody create something like this I I think that it does get at some kind of emotional truth and that seems bizarre when you're talking about scenarios like some of the ones in here that, that can be so over the top and kind of ridiculously awful some of the the situations people are in but there's plenty of terrible horror that you'll watch something and it is violent or or you know doing terrible things and it just is empty there's there's nothing to it it just feels you know exploitative and these didn't feel that way as as over the top and i think the dirty joke analogy is good they have some scenarios here that you're just like these are like you know you're just coming up with the most insane situation there's one called the the great shitter where it's just a a giant (laughs) you know 
this giant person or creature that just is constantly defecating all over this town and these poor townspeople have to spend you know what 20 hours a day that's their entire existence of everybody in the town is cleaning up after him and it's just like what a horrible thing to even come up with and to actually you know put it out into the world but the way he puts it across he doesn't just sort of present the awful situation he kind of delves into the weird little slice of life of what it would be like for the people yeah. growing up in this situation the kids that have to go to school and and learn about the the work they're going to do the the family dynamic of the father and mother that are having to go and clean up this giant monster shit all day and how that affects their relationship and there is sort of an emotional anchor to it that makes you it's not just sort of awful for being awful you kind of can see it's it's not necessarily uh meant to be an allegory but there you can read it that way if you There's, want the first time i read the great shitter it, it starts off like a joke right this creature that just screams is always mm. angry and like literally the only thing it does is shit all over this town but there's actually like this you, you cut through all that shit and there's actually like a lot of sadness to it and there is something that's allegorical to i think the way a lot of people live where literally these kids go to school for one day to learn about the great shitter and the the life that they have ahead of them <laughs> and then after that you know you're just you you spend the whole day just kind of cleaning up cleaning up shit mm -hmm. and cleaning up other people's shit that you have mm -hmm. no control over and they're just shitting all over your life and in this case it's literal and there is there is a, a sadness to that like especially at the end right you know he the son says the son comes home from school and the father says are you ready for work tomorrow <laughs> and the son says yeah it took a long time to get home i'm so tired dad <laughs> dad's like i'm tired too son i'm tired too and his his stories always end on that bleak question mark i would say yeah yeah, they, they they vary. There's a few different ways he likes to end the stories, it seems like. And some of them, yeah, it'll be, there's sort of this, this hopelessness. And it, that was something that was interesting, that kind of a theme that comes up in a lot of his stories is this sort of sense of mistakes that were made in this person's life that led them to this. Mm. I think I think that was what, what it was, uh, Demonwood, which was oh, one Demon of the Wood. ones I really liked, where a guy, he's, he's got some job doing manual labor, and, and they, you know, tell him, you know, you've, you've got to get home, you know, before it gets dark. And, of course, his car doesn't start, and the whatever demon that shows up tells him this is caught up to you these shitty decisions you made in the course of your shit life i think they it was was, was the quote something like that and i feel like that theme comes up in a lot of the stories it's kind of you've made mistakes it's not it's not a direct the way you might have in a horror movie where you know you think of like the 80s slasher movies where like the kids have sex or or do something wrong you know it's sort of this moral judgment and then the the, the murderer comes and gets them for doing something wrong it's more this steady buildup of mistakes made that then have led you to this this place of of sadness or hopelessness and and that sometimes that's in the form of like the great chitter where it's just like oh it's like their their life is just this you know awful repetitiveness of of something terrible or it's something more uh, visceral where it's an actual monster that's showing up but uh, a lot of times it's this sense that it's you know the the chickens coming home to roost in some way yeah demonwood was the first story i read of josh simmons that you know where i was like oh man this guy really knows what he's doing because mm. you know which is kind of ironic because it's like literally the last story mm. in the furry trap 
because previously, as much as I kind of had like reactions to all of the other stories, I actually thought the one, the first one where the where the elf rapes the the wizard, was <laughs> was funny. I thought Mark of the Bat was funny, but in mm-hmm. a, in that sort of grotesque, dirty joke way. Right, mm-hmm. where the punchline is just incredibly awful and nasty. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then some of the other ones seem just more like interesting scenarios or dreams that he might have had. But Demon Wood was the one that really left me unsettled. And I think it was sort of the first one in this volume where you actually feel like you're dealing with real people and not, you know, and not some sort of abstracted versions of people, either, you know, like Cockbone, for instance. They're all mm-hmm. kind of like these parodic redneck type creatures. Mm-hmm. And. I actually did like Cockbone at the end because the, the he goes to visit this house and sees the witch and it's like it's not like a, a house you would have ever thought would have existed in this world. It's not like a witch that you would have expected to see. So there was like some you know some some real unease in that, whereas before it had been sort of like just almost cartoonish. But Demon Wood created a real sense of dread. Yeah, for me. and and. Sticking with Demon Wood, it's and, and that came up with a few stories where it was the monster that would show up or would be foretold, where it was basically saying, There's this monster out there, watch out. Or in this case of Demon Wood, he basically says, I'm gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna just kill you. I'm gonna go to your house and I'm gonna do all these awful things to your family, and you can't escape me. And he just tells him that's what's gonna happen. And the guy goes home, and sure enough, the monster is there waiting, or the monster and his his crew. And that that happens in a few stories and it's a weird, it's not your typical kind of scary story where it's like, there's something out there beware. It's this thing kind of just shows up and it's right there or everybody knows about it. It's very uh, public in a way. And then yeah, the, there's sort of the reckoning, but it, it's a different kind of, of fear where it's like this, this monster is there for all to see. Well, it's so mundane. Like every, unlike everything else in Furry Trap, it's incredibly mundane. A guy pulls mm-hmm. up to go to work. They've, they've, there's a, there's a, there's a, you know, children's playground at the top of the hill, and at the bottom there's this weird structure that had been buried, a weird old rundown house, and they're just trying to salvage the wood, and that's mm-hmm. it. And they kind of allude to demons in the wood, but almost kind of very matter of factly. And and then when you see the demon, it looks like a kid. It looks like a baby. In fact, all of the demon's relatives, I guess, look like mm-hmm. have these baby faces. They almost visually look kind of harmless and almost almost sweet in a way. Mm-hmm. Until they until you, you read the dialogue. And to your point earlier, a lot of what's what makes this so uneasy is that there's a sense that the guy who all of the bad stuff is going to happen to, he's responsible, right? The demon pretty much explicitly says it. Oh, you were too much. The guy gets stranded. His car doesn't work, so he can't go home. He has too much pride to ask for a ride or to admit to his coworkers that his car doesn't work. So he just decides to sit in the woods until it gets dark, and that's when the demons stumble into Mm -hmm, him mm -hmm. and basically say, you know, oh, you're a coward. You're a disgusting failure for doing that. And this is all kind of his fault and, and and it's his own vanity he tries to start the yeah. car realizes it won't start but he he's too embarrassed to tell the other guys before they've left and so it's sort of yeah. like again it's your fault and it, it reminds there's a the other story in the in the in the flayed corpse called daddy very similar where it's this sort of home invasion mm. you know again where the person who's supposed to be the protector the dad 
let, ends up letting this guy in and he does all kinds of terrible things. <laughs> and then it's, you know, I think the, the wife asks, why are you doing this? And he says, because daddy let me in. And, and again, it's sort of like this guy fucked up. He made, he made the mistake yeah. that led to these, these horrors. And, and I think that's what makes it so resonant is it feels like there is some kind of perverse justice to some of these stories where it's some sort of mistake and, and it's kind of, it plays on our own anxieties. It's like any person who's imagining, you know, Oh, I did, I, I messed this up or I, 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 you know, like I, I, I screwed something up at work. What could that lead to? It's like, this is sort of tapping into those feelings of anxiety that a person has. And then is extrapolating it to like the farthest ends of what kind of horrors could come down on you. Yeah. The thing about daddy, I didn't, that didn't work. I mean, it basically felt like, like a retread of demon wood, even mm-hmm. down to the, the creature he lets in, which looks almost very similar to the, mm-hmm. the creatures in, in demon wood and in demon wood. There's a sense of like constant failure from this guy. Like he mm-hmm. is a loser. You know, he's, he struggles to get work. His car doesn't work. When he first encounters the demon and the demon basically says, you're such a coward. That's, that's almost sort of like an indictment on his entire life. Not just mm-hmm. his decision to, you know, try to hide the fact that his car doesn't work. And so there's something very, very deep, I think, about the humiliation that the demon puts him through. And then, and then he kind of begins with the more violent threats and versus in, in, in daddy, there is that sort of like, you know, beginning with a couple kind of having sex and then later on bickering in the car. But I guess the horror of what happens, the, the, the encounter doesn't really tie into the guys, the you know, it doesn't really tie into like the character's existential dread, yeah. like it does in demon wood where it's, you know, it's very much tied to this man as a failure not just in that moment but throughout his entire life yeah i think that's right i think that's a demon would definitely works better because of that and you feel it's a little more fleshed out of who this character is and what mistakes he's made i think that's why i i, I like the cave as well for kind of similar reasons where it was mm. it was dark but this mm. sense of like he, it's this guy and his mom just going to check out this cave and it's supposed to be this nice little walk in nature to see this old cave that they knew. Uh, and then the first they get to the cave and it turns out to be a total letdown, which I thought was kind of an interesting twist. They kind of go and see it. You expect there to be something awful in the cave, but it turns out the cave is just lame. It's like been boarded up or it's not that interesting. And then the walk home, it gets darker and darker and his feelings, he gets angrier towards his mom and feeling all these, he's clearly, it, it reminded me of Demon Wood in, in that it seemed this character that's, it, it's a very dark sort of character and fe- having all these dark thoughts that then the demons in his mind sort of kind of actually come to fruition in a way once, once it gets dark outside and, you know, yeah. <laughs> and take, take, take care of both him and his mom. And that's the of emotional a, power of that. It's sort of a turn of the screw sort of story for, for most of it, you know, because he's kind of walking with his mom and then you kind of get a sense of this irritation and, and you know, mom, why are you dragging me into this? You know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, in, in his irritation peaks and then that's when the kind of, more conventional movie sort of horror comes in where things now there were two people walking alone in the dark, dark wood. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of just ends with, (laughs) with these, these, these eight dark panels and just the sound of his mom being eaten. And then the sound of the creature 
you know, well, not the sound, but his him narrating as you, we learn yeah. uh, post posthumously uh, as a creature kind of lays into him as well. And that's another like story that kind of like started as one type of horror and kind of very quickly shifted into another, probably a more conventional type of horror. Mm-hmm. But I actually kind of like that mix, you know, even though it kind of ends in a way it's like, and then they got eaten. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the buildup of just this man and his mom, and he's getting more and more irritated with her as she insists on walking to the stupid cave. Right. I feel like that, you know, almost kind of, in a way, it made the the kind of more conventional horror ending okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Maybe maybe it's just because it's just a, it's just such a weird and unexpected mix. I guess you know maybe maybe I tend to not forgive. You know, I tend to get irritated of characters who act like cliches, and then the horror movie cliches come in. But if the characters act like very real, and then something starts to go weird, even if it's you know kind of stupid or supernaturally or you know yeah. you know conventional, you kind of like oh, okay, you you've you've earned that by putting in all of this interesting legwork. Initially, he's, he's really good at that. There's there's several stories that you kind of go, okay, I kind of think I know where this is going. What's the 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 one I'm forgetting the name now, but where this incident like the, at Owl's Head. Well, that one, yeah, absolutely. That the the we should definitely talk about that. The, the can, one I yeah. was of real quick was just the one with the the circular house where there's you know oh, gin in the yeah. ceiling, and you sort of assume it's the sort of setup as he's seeing this you know old friend of his he hasn't seen in a while, and she's like you know hey here's my great house just don't look up, and you assume <laughs> that's basically setting it up for he is going to look up, but he doesn't, <laughs> and then it does. It, it, at the same time, there is, you know, he ends up leaving and do uh, it safely, but it does, there, there is still a twist, a fulfillment to that promise, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that that, that's what I, I think he does in a really interesting way where it's like, he, he sort of sets something up where you think it's going to be one kind of thing. And I think a face cutter is another one that was like that, where it's almost this kind of creepy home invasion. It's two women sort of in the hot tub relaxing and this, you know, creepy person is, is, is coming up to them. And then he ends up, you know, mutilating one of them, but then it goes in a direction you don't expect. It's not, it's not a sort of, Oh, this is just a slasher movie of him killing these innocent people. It's like they, they have agency in this way that you don't expect. And then it, it, it takes a turn that is, ends up being way more shocking and more kind of satisfying from a, and, and complex where you just go, wow, that's it's, it's messed up, but also I did not see that coming. And, and it does have a more, interesting emotional ring to it like face cutter i think at the end you're just kind of like oh that you know that that it it's it it kind of is almost funny where it's <laughs> these characters that are talking about needing to you know meet you know you need to be more better at compromising in relationships and then it's like oh but maybe that's going too far when it comes to you know trying to be open-minded about the you know the behavior of the other person in this relationship you uh, you see kind of his his writing mature from Furry Trap, which was the first collection, to Flay Corpse, which came later. And I think Face Cutter is like a really good example of that compared to a Walk in the Woods or mm. In the Magical Woods or something like that. Where the magic in the Magical Woods is really just, I mean, the punchline is, you know, the elf rapes the evil <laughs> yeah. wizard violently. Yeah. But you're right. But Face Cutter, they're actually setting up, he's actually setting up a lot more and you have these two women again it's very very grounded sort of like the 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 cave you have these it's almost just feels like a very kind of mundane moment between these two characters talking about getting drunk in the hot tub and talking about how 
talking about their failed relationships. And as you mentioned, zeroing in on how she needs to uh, be a little bit more accepting and maybe a little bit more flexible when it comes to men. <laughs> and of course, you have the final punchline, in a, in, which is which is something that you, you you don't expect. And it's it's kind of in the same vein as magic in the what was that one called is it in the magical woods or is it in the uh in the the land of magic in the land of magic it's kind of in the same vein and that is yeah. just like an act of like sexual violence yeah. and it's sort of horrific right but at the bizarre. same time it's yeah yeah it's a punchline that kind of builds off of these characters versus like in you know in in the elf wizard one it it, it doesn't really it just it just kind of subverts that sort of almost obnoxiously innocent corny tone that he had in the beginning that's sort of like the joke and here it's it's actually built off of these women as characters yeah that's a great comparison it's not yeah it's not just like a gag like you can tell that that the land of magic it is just sort of like a disgusting idea he came up with and was like look at this and it's like oh my god it is it's shocking and you read it and you're like oh my god but it doesn't have much emotional truth to the characters they're, they're pretty surfacey characters they're almost there just to deliver this kind of gory punchline and yeah it, it whereas it's still funny in face cutter in a dark very dark kind of funny way but it also is based in everything you've sort of seen of these characters up to that point so it it's definitely it seems more mature i think that that's that that totally is uh is, is the case what, what is, so i want to talk about the incident at owl's head because i think yeah. of all the stories that's the one that resonated with me the most yeah i think that was my um, favorite of, of all of them yeah, and that's that's another one where it just, you know, a, a a drifter comes to town and a seemingly benevolent rich man takes pity on him and invites him into his home. And so you kind of, you know, you kind of see where this is going. Mm -hmm. But what happens, you know, I won't say like, well, like where it goes is like entirely unexpected, but there are moments of within the story where something some unexpected things really happen and yeah. i think i know what you're i think you know what i'm what i'm talking about yeah. um, may i won't get into that because <laughs> his, i, I, his I feel like habits for one thing yeah yeah <laughs> when i when i when i saw that panel i was just like what <laughs> the fuck and it was it's it's cartoony it's both cartoony and horrifying yeah at the same time but also kind of fills out the character no pun intended Literally. a little more <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it, it it tells you more about him and it, it helps you understand yeah the sort of voracious appetite of this this figure and it it it's not just shocking and weird it also tells kind of a bigger story about this this character and and yeah and then and then the 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 appearance of this guy the drifters other buddy that he you know didn't like anymore that shows back up there's there's several shit turns of the story shit yeah his buddy shit who i just thought was so well like it, he was so such a hilariously awful character that came across so in so few words that he just you totally understand the history of these guys and how terrible oh, yeah. shit neck is and that the ambrose the you know the big fat benevolent guy supposedly the fact that he would sort of bring this guy back into the drifter's life the way he did was sort of this this you know pretending that it was he was thought he was doing him a favor but it's sort of the sign of like uh oh you can't trust this guy and it again kind of like helped push the story forward in a really interesting way and in a hilarious way 
What I liked about that moment when Shitneck shows up at the house, at the rich man's house, at Ambrose's house, and Ambrose welcomes him in, is that Ambrose, that's when you start to see Ambrose's benevolence and charity start to take a sinister turn. Because mm. before he's like, oh, yes, welcome, eat whatever you want. You know, you're, you're, my, you're my guest. Oh, you're a fine artist. And then he also brings in Shitneck, <laughs> and who is just this awful person that the, the main character, Jonathan, can't stand. And, you know, the way Ambrose sort of masks him foisting shitneck back onto Jonathan mm-hmm. as this moment of benevolence mm-hmm. and saying, you know, I wish I'd work harder at my relationships in my youth. Shitneck seems like an all right sort. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's this moment where you see that his benevolence is either very calculated or he's too stupid to see what's obvious that mm-hmm. shitneck is not an all right sort. And Maybe I think he's just not at this Right. And we know at this point, of course, that Ambrose is not stupid. So it's clearly the other thing. Yeah. And that's what I I loved where that story ends because that, and that's, that's one of the things that's interesting about his stories. There's some stories, the, the, where they end is it sort of varies. Sometimes it's in the most awful moment. And then other times it's just before that moment, which is kind of where uh, it's in an owl's head. And just when you realize I think he just says, you know, you're really gullible, aren't you? Or something like that. It's sort of, and I think that's true of so many of his characters, Simmons characters, where it's, they are told not to do something or it's made very clear what the stakes are. And this is, you know, there, there's a monster over there. Don't go over there. And then they go over there or, you know, something like that. Yet it's still, he makes it still really compelling. Even if it's, you can see that this is a bad idea from a mile away. And you kind of want to see what happens. And and I guess a lot of horror plays on that. But the way he does it is very uh, surprising. And both in where where things finally end up and the the actual, you know, what, what the, the, the choices the characters make and kind of what it tells you just about, I guess, pride and people's sort of behavior in general. I think it is almost more true to... The way people are and in the case of incident at owl's head it's like he knows he needs to get out of there it's very clear this is a bad idea he's does it packs up gets ready to go and yet is somehow convinced to go back and he you could he knows that this is a bad idea yet he still goes back to it and i think that's kind of true of that's more true of people than you know somebody that maybe you know actually successfully got out of there that you might find it you know a more heroic character his his characters are <laughs> generally pretty terrible and it's almost more more interesting i guess in that way because it's it's a recognizable mistake that these people are making obviously you know taken to the furthest extreme but it's much it's 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 very interesting that way where you see someone making a bad choice but sort of you know, it seems like he's not the first to do that. And and that's kind of what I, I love. The, the the sentiment that Incident Owl's Head ends on is just kind of like, you knew this was going to happen. And it's, you yeah. did. And I think that's true of so many of his stories, but it's still, it shows how effective it is that you still find that really compelling. But I think, yeah, you, you know exactly what's going to happen, kind of, but you don't have any clue Mm-hmm. what's going to happen and that was you know i think his best stories are like that from face cutter because they show the killer mm-hmm. creeping into the house so you mm-hmm. know something you know yeah we just talked about al's head and then the one about the about don't look up you know you know there's mm-hmm. going to be some sort of interaction with the creatures in the ceiling you just don't know 
what form it will take. And it takes a form that is very, it's very brief, but also very surprising. I, I and, put Seaside okay, Home into that category too, where it's kind of like, you know, something's, you know, just the name kind of gives away, okay, this is, <laughs> this is where the problem's going to be. And then, but yet it does it in a almost beautiful way. The, 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 the horror of it is, is really like pretty stunning. That one is interesting because it, it, it begins, it's this idyllic home and then suddenly, you know, the wave just crashes into them. And then it ends in this sort of very bleak moment. And and maybe, you know, I, I hate to say there's messages in any of this, so I won't say that there's a message here, but it definitely kind of, you kind of think a lot about how ephemeral things are in life is because the first panel is this beautiful house with a boat and it looks sturdy and it's strong. And the last panel is this just this giant hole in the ground where the house once stood. And what you see throughout the story is a systematic, let's just say disassembly, not Mm. only of the house, but the people inside of it, Mm. which is, which is, which is really, really horrifying because they looked very, very safe where they were and moreover it's all from the point of view of this little girl mm-hmm. who you know and things go from bad to worse to just plain god awful yeah and it seems like kind of just a you know a sort of nice family but then you remember oh wait this is Josh Simmons so it's not going to end well and it it does even you know the final panels it's just destructive but it also has sort of this sort of, I don't know, peacefulness to it too. And he's got a few stories like that, or at least a few moments in the stories that have Wait, I didn't feel that was peaceful. I felt that was, yeah. I felt it was kind of awful. The sort of the ocean. Um, I, I feel like he has a few where it's like the natural world kind of reasserting itself or, or just being this kind of expanse of nature in a way that that's, I, you know, oh, I, I I definitely, you can read it both ways, I guess, where it's like, it's also total destruction and, you know, the loss of <laughs> this beautiful house, but it's also kind of this, the natural world kind of coming, coming back. And he has a few like that, that have this kind of, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's quite sublime or something like that, where it's a little just more, it strikes a more more peaceful kind of note in that way maybe not not necessarily that one but but yeah yeah i I see what you're saying for the last like four panels where Mm -hmm. the water just overtakes the house and what's left is this hole and Mm -hmm. it's gone but for me i guess the panels that really resonated with me were the ones right before that where you see the 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 debris mangling the body of this girl who (laughs) it was from her point of view that we've been seeing this story and so the less panels her not just drowning but her body being like ripped apart yeah. and shredded and sinking and so that resonated with me and then as the kind of like the 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 big moment of the story and then mm-hmm. everything else just kind of felt almost nihilistic with the yeah. washing away of the house and then all that's left is this hole in the ground yeah so i yeah so i my personal reaction was not i didn't i didn't feel particularly peaceful after after watching that one, after, yeah. After reading that one, but uh, yeah, I, 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 see, I can I see definitely, yeah, I could definitely see that. What's what was the other one? The it was one of the first ones in Flayed Corpse. We oh, we enjoyed many adventures, which I that I, one was that was an odd one. Yeah. Right? It was kind of like I couldn't quite get the tone, it, it, but that had that sort you of sublime feel to it, where it was. I don't know. Yeah. What was, you know, what was going on there where it's like, they're talking to the star man and it didn't actually have any horrific twist, which is surprising. So, I mean, I, I, you could read that as a scary story or you could read that as the sort of 
sublime, beautiful story of these mm. people who had these these friends who had these great adventures, and you know these gods coming down and saying, "Would you like to meet the others?" Mm. And you know you don't know what that entails, right? Because you know you see the two gods in the sky interacting, and then they high five each other. <laughs> so they're certainly communicating something, and. You know, yeah, again, you, you have no idea what's going to be the fate of the four people that go mm-hmm. away with a god. It could be beautiful and wonderful, like in their early adventures, or, you know, just knowing Josh Simmons, you know, I tend to think it's 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 not. It's going to be the exact opposite. Something's going to go wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what's the deal with the um, bat stories? Yes, good. I wanted to talk about the two Batman stories. Yeah. There's one in the furry trap and there's one in the flayed corpse. And I actually feel like the one in the flayed corpse where it's him and the Joker is personally, I know it's not a Batman story because obviously it's not, it's not Batman quote unquote, <laughs> but it's Batman. But I feel like that was one of the best Batman stories I've ever read. It's incredible. <laughs> and and the first one is kind of a joke, right? I mean, kind of true to Josh Simmons early work. It's nihilistic and it's, but it's definitely like, and you know, he basically lays out the damage that Batman has gone through Mm. but the second one the one involving the joker and batman it's basically batman and the joker wandering the 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 bombed out icy world of gotham city where everyone is dead the only people who are alive are batman and the joker Mm. and they're just kind of having this conversation yeah but i really thought that was interesting just seeing the way those two interacted and dealt with the, the the bleakness of everything as well as the way it ended again with this ambiguous moment yeah of involving cupcakes right and and it really was kind of emotionally pulls you in and that sort of hope for maybe there you know like that grasping at hope and both what were what were the motivations of what the, the joker was doing there and why did the batman react the way he did and i just think it's such a wild story for him to want to tell with those characters like it's interesting how few like that that's like you know he doesn't have many characters that are actually from other you know properties or or even referencing other properties except maybe Gwyneth Paltrow but it's just sort of an odd like it's like such an interesting choice to use as characters and I wonder if you know, did he did he set out to be like I want to tell a Batman story in, but but in in this way, like you know, or was it a weird story he was kind of thinking about and then thought that it would be told more effectively through these characters? It's it's interesting to, to think how that you know came about. I can kind of see it both ways, right? I mean, he clearly likes the Batman character, the Batman property, I suppose, and he's clearly you know familiar with it. He's he's actually like the first one; it's his. It's Batman and Catwoman on a rooftop. And Catwoman mm-hmm. says, I used to have a crush on you. It used to be so dark and sexy. And now, you know, Batman's just completely depressed and he's sleeping on rooftops at that point. She's like, now, not so much. So <laughs> it's kind of an interrogation of the sort of romantic relationship that Batman and Catwoman have in the comics where it's these two sexy people, these creatures of the night. And in this one, she's just kind of like, man, once I kind of see who you really are, you're really kind of pathetic, aren't you? <laughs> and then similarly with Joker and Batman, it's it's this weird interrogation of their relationship, right? Where there's this whole big apocalypse and Batman kind of thinks for a while the Joker did it. And then there's this moment at the end where it's unclear, where it's entirely unclear whether, whether the Joker was 
doing things, doing the things that he was doing in order to crush Batman or in order to give him hope. Mm-hmm. And of course it ends before, you know, there, there's basically no answer to be had because of what Batman does at the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It leaves you and, and it's deliberate. And and then it, and oh, yeah. what sort of that first story did too, where it kind of makes you question the character of Batman, which I, I guess that's not, you know, unusual for people to say, oh, you know, what's the line between hero and villain and play with those ideas. But I don't think it's ever been done so, you know, graphically, but also gets at something a little darker. I think just the fact that it's, that it is this kind of end of the world and they're sort of the last two people alive. It just, it creates such an interesting, it's an interesting way to tell that story and leaves it very ambiguous. So, you know, finally, I, I, I do want to kind of just talk about the Gwyneth Paltrow story because that was the <laughs> most kind of just cryptic one and mm. one that really just didn't hit, did, it's, it really didn't have a meaning at all, but mm-hmm. it was just really interesting to me. Again, it's not something I can say that it's not, I was not able to interpret it. I don't know if it's meant to be an interpretation. I can see this as being a dream the guy might have once had. That's the same um, It almost kind of follows that sort of dream. Yeah, it almost kind of follows this weird dream logic where you're with Gwyneth Paltrow in this house, this beautiful house, this beautiful party, and then she leads you under the stairs where there's basically like a slum, a shanty town. That, yeah. And, and, and in a way, I mean, actually what what... What freaked me out in that story is that when she kind of like goes into this secret passageway underneath all of the glittering people, you know, it's a stair, it's a, it's a shitty stairway. It's these people who are living in poverty and Gwyneth Paltrow says that was the original stairway they built right over it in the twenties. Mm. And then, and, and, and then it's basically like her trying to get out of the basement with a, using a shovel, which yeah. is a little bit odd, but yeah, what was your what was your yeah, take when you read I, that? I think what you said is exactly what I thought. It, it, the, the the tonal changes, and I think maybe just the fact that it is, you know, they actually have a character named Gwyneth Paltrow, like, which they don't, you know, there's no other. I don't think in any of his those collections there's an actual characters named like that. It doesn't. It really feels like it was a dream he had and just put it down on the page, and it, so it doesn't work as well for me. I think because of that, because it does feel just like it is extremely weird, and it does convey dream logic in a way that works really well it's rare that you read yeah. something and go like wow that really is like a dream like that's like the, the, the just the shifts in scenery and and tone or settings and tone is, is so dreamlike but at the same time kind of empty in the end it sort of left yeah. you just like yeah like it didn't seem like it really was saying all that much it just seemed like really weird which i i think maybe that the picnic one was a little bit like that too just before it where it was the 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 two ladies like buzzing around with like giant fans on their back up in the air and then they just like crash and and it was had that similar kind of weird dream logic to it and it just felt like it moved so fast but it didn't totally have all that much uh, emotional resonance for me at least but it, it was funny how he does have a handful of these that feel almost like crazy dreams and i assume you know i gotta think a lot of these stories start with some nightmare that he has and a kernel of that maybe he builds on that but but these felt like more like straight up just dream logic yeah well the character in picnic the male protagonist in picnic looks like the same character in in gwen and the Mm. same character in acid party so i kind of wonder if that is supposed to be him standing in Mm -hmm. um and if these are sort of like yeah these are sort of dream sequences that he that he had well that being said though i would say picnic reminded me of there's another story that he did earlier in that in the flayed corpse 
about the biker who gets hit mm. by a car. Mm-hmm. And the man kind of wrestles with his conscience before eventually saying, well, my life's going well. I, I, I you know, I'm, it's country road. And he basically discards the, throws the biker down a cliff, uh, yeah. the biker's corpse down a cliff, the bike. And in a way, you know, both of them are about responsibility and culpability. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the the driver in Country Road is culpable, and the individual in Picnic is they're just witnesses. But I th- I think there is something to be said about the way characters kind of deal with other people's pain and suffering. Yeah. That's a good point. In the story in Picnic, yeah, he or in these keeps saying like, "We need to hurry. We need to go help them." Like he actually seems to still have sort of a conscience about it. Like we need to go help them. And then the other characters are like. Eh, it's too late now. Like, and they have that kind of resigned quality that, similar to the guy in Country Road, you see him really have to talk through it. Where it's immediately he's thinking about himself, what repercussions it could have, and then finding all these justifications. Well, the person's already dead. What good is it going to do to ruin my life too? They're, they're, it's not going to bring them back. It's these characters seem like they're early stages of other Josh Simmons characters that then you meet later that are saying, I've made all these terrible decisions in my life. These are sort of some of their decisions you're seeing happen. It feels like it's kind of a through line with some of these where you can imagine these being, you know, some of the same characters that end up getting their comeuppance, especially Country Road, where it's, it really just leaves it at basically this guy decides not to take responsibility and says, you know yeah. what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the right thing. And there's no, there's sort of no sense of justice in it. He just, you know, you assume he gets away with it or, you know, he, he leaves, but the, it just kind of leaves. It's not like horror. It just is sort of, it's, it's awful to, to see it's, but it's not, there's, there's nothing, you know, shocking. It's just like, ugh, that's, that's terrible. It's like the awfulness of, 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 of human, you know, irresponsibility. So I was wondering when, you know, when Jen asks why you like horror movies, because Sophie asks me the same thing. Like yeah. she, she really has no idea why I'm into this at all. I just, what do you say? I think that it's, I, I should go back over my, I think it was like Aristotle, the sort of idea of the, you know, the tension and release or the, there's, there's a word I'm looking for where it's, it's the you know, raising your fear and then dissipating it. And I, 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 catharsis, that's the word. So it's that cathartic feeling that you, I, I, I think maybe it's because I think of myself as kind of an anxious person. So by seeing or reading the worst possible scenarios in these cases, you know, life and death and, and worse, but then it being fiction and you not actually being the one who's suffering, it's, it's kind of a, a weird sort of, sort of weirdly energizing in a way and and it's it's so for me that's what i like about it it kind of i really feel it and then i feel the relief of not not being the one to experience it and i think that's also why i don't like bad horror i want it to be believable the more the more you can kind of understand where these characters are coming from, the more believable the scenario, the more it, it really hits you. The, the harder it is to watch in a lot of ways, but also the more, the more powerful, the more emotionally cathartic it is. So that's, I guess, and, and the other thing I'll usually say is it's kind of similar to Jen loves, you know, romantic comedy. She, she loves all kinds of movies, but she does like her romantic comedies for their formulaic aspects she she knows that the character's going to get together at the end she likes that you know the big kiss moment the the meet cute the sort of rivalry maybe and these sort of 
predictable steps that the story takes. And I think that's sometimes about horror where I, I really, I like the predictability of, of horror as a genre, you know, especially I'm thinking in horror films where if it's, you know, the, the, the house that you're not supposed to go into or something, and you know, you see where it's going, but if they can play with that formula, make the characters believable enough, it's, it's weirdly very satisfying. And, and I think that that is, again, that kind of cathartic feeling. So those are some of the reasons I find that I, that, and, and, and that I point to, to try to justify my liking horror. It never, I, I don't think Jen ever buys it, but that's what I say at least. Yeah. Yeah. I've always kind of said it's like being on a roller coaster, you mm. know, where you feel like you're falling, you're being whipped around, but you're not, you know, you're on a, you're on rails and you're, you're, you're fundamentally safe. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've always felt the best horror makes you feel like you are in danger. Something is coming after you. You feel that moment of existential dread or empathy, empathy to people who are going through a really hard time. Mm-hmm. And I understand that not everyone really likes that at all, but I do because you get the taste of that sensation without, as you mentioned, having to go through it yourself. Yeah. You, know, you can kind of close the book and you can be done with it. Having just kind of had that, that brief flirtation with it and you're right it is kind of cathartic to go through that to kind of like same reason why people kind of seek out these thrill seeking opportunities you know you go bungee jumping right yeah you experience the feeling of stepping into the void but hey there's something that's strapping you back to you know to safety yeah and i feel like horror horror books comics movies are all kind of in that vein for me i will say though like I am not a big fan of the predictability aspect of it. I like mm-hmm. I like seeing where it's going. I like but then being surprised. So I, I, I don't I like it when books kind of follow the tropes of horror, but I like it when they take you to a place that you yourself could just not have conceived. Because if you could think about it, if you you know what, if you can conceive of like what happens at the end of the horror movie. And all they're really doing is showing you like a stab sequence or whatever, or the monster mm. eating somebody. That to me is actually mundane. Yeah. That to me kind of like takes you away from the catharsis that you mentioned, because suddenly I realized this is all scripted. This is all following the same pattern. It's when you can't see the pattern that I think you, I, I get the most out of, and not just horror in a way, but every, every, you know, piece of fiction or entertainment. It's, it's being surprised. Yeah. Be expecting one thing but getting the other. Yeah, and sh- and somebody who knows, who clearly knows the tropes, who's kind of playing with it, but not following yeah. the same path that you expect it to, which I think Simmons does a great job of. There's a lot of setups where you kind of think, okay, I think I know where it's going. And then he either go, come, it arrives much faster than you expect it to, or it goes in some totally different direction. And that's, that's really satisfying, especially when you, it kind of sets up those expectations, having read, you know, enough horror stories, seen enough horror movies, you kind of go, okay, I, I think I know where this is going. And then being kind of surprised every time, you know, pretty, pretty consistently. Well, um, Alex, this was our last quarantine comics before we go on hiatus for a little bit we're gonna be taking a break for a few months but we'll be back i'm not sure exactly when i should actually i should actually figure that out i'll just say we'll be back in a couple of weeks but who knows but we will definitely be back but alex thank you thank you so much for being a part of this episode and for being so willing to read josh simmons i knew you'd you'd 
you'd like him and we'd have a good discussion about it that we would be on the same wavelength with this guy so it's always and you know it's been a while since you and i have seen a scary movie together so this was kind of in a way us getting uh as much of that fix as we can. Yeah, yeah. In these still sort of COVID-y days, it was, it was nice to sort of have a, a shared horrifying experience. 